Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Today is July 29th, 2020. Today I'm joined by Tony East of Locked On Pacers, a bunch of great writing places. Tony, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Excited to talk some Pacers. It's what I do, so can't wait to do it with you, Mark. I agree. So first, you know, I, I just want to talk, uh, I want to talk about the bubble first in general. Uh, I think the first question I got for you, um, if you had to break the integrity of the bubble for any food, what would it be? Oh. And can you find it at an actual restaurant? Well, Rashawn Holmes, didn't he say he broke it for chicken? Wasn't that his official? He was lemon pepper wings as well. Lemon, lemon, pepper, lemon pepper wings, wings yeah. got two. That's in there. I mean, that's hard, right? Because it's got to be a damn good restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's pretty hard. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Sorry if I just broke a, Oh, you're good. I, I, I corners podcast rule. You're good. I can just change it to explicit. It'll be fine. <laughs> My bad. I don't know, man. I like a lot of restaurants, uh, but I feel like it'd be a chain just cause I'm at Disney, right? Like there's not like any nice food around the bubble. True. That's a good point. I mean, we uh, went all the way to Atlanta just so we could get some good food. So <laughs> no, I know he actually, in all seriousness, I know he left cause his grandpa died. Uh, he, uh, um, the circumstances of how he ended up getting uh, – it's not technically a suspension, but, I mean, it's, a it's kind of a – it's a suspension, like, it's just suspension. in all in all reality. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it definitely just the – one of the weirdest notifications to get on my phone. Absolutely. He was with, like, some random alternative rapper that I've heard of before. Uh, I was like, all right, this is, uh, this is how the bubble's going. But, you know, outside that um, – I remember, you know, you, you me, and Tom, we, we talked before the team went down. Uh, and we were both, you know, I, I was definitely a lot more pessimistic about the bubble than I think you two were. Um, I've been proven wrong and I'm pretty happy about that. I mean, things have went well. We had another report today that there were zero positive Corona tests league wide. Um, but just looking in terms of the game product and everything, how, how do you feel about the, the fake, fake fans and, and fake crowd noise? Cause I, ha- I have some, I have some takes on it. So I don't, I don't want to belittle anyone who like, loves it or doesn't like it but my biggest takeaway is is that I don't notice it that much right like the first so the first game they didn't have the crowd yet they just had the big flashing yellow like Indiana Pacers in the back and then the next two games they had the crowd but I didn't like be between Chris and Quinn filling the whole broadcast with talking and the in stadium like sat like songs right like at a normal NBA game there's songs that play there with songs and like just between all that I didn't even really notice the no fans now like when they would cut to the bench that felt a lot different like oh yeah they're like 10 feet apart and yeah you know the masked coaches and stuff like that like there were clear signs the whole time that it was different for sure but I never is with the fans at least just was like oh this feels so different like it felt like a normal game to me it just there were subtle reminders throughout the game basically yeah yeah I would fully agree with that I think in terms of how the broadcast went um obviously I mean Chris and Quinn are the the best. I mean, I yeah, I should note, I only watched the Pacers.com broadcast. I never ventured to NBA TV for the Pacers games. Uh, I think NBA TV was fine for the most part. The Spurs broadcasters are all right, but I mean, we're pretty lucky. I mean, Chris and Quinn, we are. not just to you know kiss ass, but they're probably among the, the top five broadcast groups in, uh, in local television. So, uh, I mean, we're pretty lucky with that. Definitely better than having to listen to the Rockets announcers all the time. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it was it's funny because, you know, I think it's first or second game, all you could hear is just shoes squeaking. There were, like, no background yep. noises or anything. So that was weird. I like that they started adding in uh, some of, like, the actual arena noises. But I, it sounds terrible, but I kind of like not having a ton of, like, 
fake noise pumped in because I think we had a good balance where it was just, you know, whenever a player scored, they had their, uh, obviously their name called out and there was like maybe like a quick like hype up song or whatever. Um, but I personally like having less distraction and just being able to watch basketball. Were you on the post-game media for the first game against the Blazers? I was not. I think Tom was on that one. So Justin Holiday was like, dude, we can hear our bench and the other team's bench like calling out defensive assignments during the game because there's so little noise in the stadium. Like that is crazy to me that not only are they, are they pulling in the noise so it feels more authentic for TV and even the players, I guess, but like also, I mean, it's going to totally change the – the makeup of the actual games, you know, like if they, if you're going towards your own bench, like, or excuse me, if you're going towards the other team's bench in the second half, like being able to hear coverages and play calls and stuff like that, that's going to be wild. I feel like when the games are important. Yeah, I fully agree. That's really interesting to look at too. Cause I don't know if you follow Tom Habershow at all. He does do, a lot yes. of the great, the, the free throw stuff. thing. Yeah. Yeah. He just dropped that, uh, that article today on how free throw percentage, I believe, dropped, uh, has dropped so far across scrimmages because, well, I mean, obviously it's just, you know, with statistics, I think something that's great to remember, especially since you did work with B-Ball Index. Um, statistics don't mean that that's exactly what's happening. You know, it just points to something and it does, okay, it's uh, correlation, not causation, correct? Right. Isn't that what yes. it is? Yeah. Yes. So I always want to try and remind people of that just because, this is what's happening. It's, you know, there's a lot of other variables and stuff, but it lines up for that. So that's my long soliloquy to say shooting numbers are a little bit down the free throw line, which, you know, when you think about it, you know, these guys are used to playing in front of 15 to 20,000 people and all that noise. And now they're able to hear defensive assignments called from the bench. And I don't know about you, but I haven't, I haven't heard defensive assignments called from the bench since I was in like peewees, man. So it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. I don't, I didn't reach a high enough level of play myself for the defensive assignments to be called out mid game for a team. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So I don't know as far as like noise and everything, like the, the arena atmosphere, I, I dig it just cause I, I, I love just watching the game. Um, but it will be nice to have the actual, actual game back so that, you know, uh, like it's normal again. So that'll be nice. Eventually, obviously we're probably a ways away from that. Um, but, you know, just going into the Pacers themselves and, and the actual on court uh, play, what, uh, I guess that's kind of a loaded question to ask what your biggest takeaways are so far. Ooh, but, well that the, the title of the article I'm currently writing is takeaways from the Indiana Pacers scrimmages. So oh, okay. So I guess we, I could rattle off some, uh, but one I, of them I'm is, excited. one of them is that atmosphere stuff we just talked about with, with, mm-hmm. with Justin and Victor said, the first one I wrote is, uh, is about pace. Now, the hard thing about writing about pace is that preseason games and these scrimmage games fell in line with those are notoriously much faster than regular season NBA games. So just saying the Pacers played fast and shot early in the shot clock and were hunting for shots quickly, that doesn't really mean much to me in terms of every team kind of plays that way in these scrimmages. They're ironing stuff out. Uh, and so that's just how it goes. What, what I do think is important is their relative pace compared to the rest of the league, because in the regular season, they're 24th in pace. And in the three scrimmage games, they were sixth. So a lot of this, and everybody knows why is Sabonis isn't playing, right? So they have four guards who all are pretty good at attacking off the dribble. So they have a lot of opportunities earlier in plays earlier in shot clock, uh, with their starting five to just get a, get a good look up early. They don't have to run through all the options of their set and then it's dead. And then TJ Warren shooting or Sabonis is creating something in a two man game. They just get a better look earlier. And 
it's not necessarily better or worse, right? Their their offensive rating was still 13th compared to 16th or 17th, I forget, in the regular season, right? So it was about the same rank in the league, but they played way faster, which was very interesting to me. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, especially looking at the bench. I mean, the bench was running Jakar at the five. Other yeah. than, um, I was really, you know, just um, one of the immediate takeaways. I was really, uh, I don't want to say disappointed. It's just a scrimmage, but um, <laughs> Miles fouling, well, he didn't foul out, but picking up his fifth foul early, I was really interested to see um, how he played those bench minutes because he didn't play a ton of bench minutes this year. He had two possessions. And, exactly. So I was, I was really excited to watch him get some run with the bench, but yeah, that didn't, did not work out. But uh, yeah, the, the pace is definitely something that you have to know. I mean, I think TJ had a ton of buckets just leaking out in transition. Yep. Um, I'm really excited to see if that continues moving forward. You know, I, I think I, I, I kind of had a back and forth with you on Twitter about three point shooting so far. Uh, of course, after two really promising scrimmages, dropped back down to pretty much normal yesterday, shot 24. Yeah, they shot terrible against the Spurs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I see it's like even with the that, – that one was it's, – it's whatever. But the game before, I mean, I think they shot 29% from three, but they shot 33, which is I think – I mean, even Quinn Buckner talked about in the broadcast yesterday. The team needs it to, to combat the kind of rebounding that they're going to face. And they were fortunate to face a Spurs team without LaMarcus Aldridge in the front court. Um, and uh, a Blazers team, I actually have no idea how the team rebounded that well against the Blazers, to be completely honest. Um, well, I mean, White no was out, so that does help. Like, legitimately no yeah. centers. <laughs> but then, uh, uh, but just in terms of rebound, I mean, I think it's really going to be apparent when, uh, when the Pacers play Philadelphia on Saturday. Uh, that's just going to be, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not trying to pigeonhole the team already, but if Embiid plays, and even if he doesn't, the front court mismatches are, are pretty notable. Yeah, and Miles struggles with Embiid anyway, right? Yeah. So the way that especially I was trying to be nice, come on. <laughs> no, it's. It, I mean, they talked no, it's about just true. Uh, Nate's talked about it before, right? Like it's his kryptonite. It's a beastly strong guy who can kill you inside out. So he makes Miles move a little, has to kill him on the glass to defend the post. It's all the stuff he struggles with in one player. Now the silver lining is he's hurt a little bit. He hasn't practiced or played in a while. He'll almost surely be healthy by Saturday, but. You know, he might be a little bit hobbled. And the Pacers did, again, like you said, they actually had some okay rebounding performances. Like I think they finished like fourth or fifth in rebounds per game. Now, some of that's just a lot of quick. Lots of Quick means a lot of more shots, which means more misses, right? So you're getting inflated-ish numbers there, although their offensive rebounding wasn't insane. But, yeah, they had a ton of rebounds, which was great. And not only Miles on that, right? Vic was pretty good as a rebounder when he was healthy. And I think he's good as the low man on defense of snagging those and immediately running and trying to push. And him mm-hmm. and Brogdon both are pretty good at that. They try to find each other. So I think they have good rebounding guards and a bad rebounding center. So how much do those, you know, really impact each other? How, how good can their rebounding be? Because, yeah, against Embiid, right, if, it's, if it goes straight up above the rim, he's getting it. Miles isn't. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to find little ways to keep up in the rebounding battle. Yeah, 100%. And so just kind of transitioning to talking about Miles a little bit, um, I, I have some definite thoughts on uh, on his play so far. A lot of them good, um, but I want to hear what your thoughts are so far on the two games we saw from Miles. Well, I like that they have him – I mean, okay. Caitlin Cooper, who's been on this show more than me, who is the X's and O's genius, and every time I, I have to rewatch games and, like, pull her tweets up and be like, okay, where did this happen? Oh, okay, I totally yeah. missed that because I don't know what I'm talking about. But – she talked about how they're using him like Sabonis. And some of that I understand and I get it. 
I feel like, you know, they're having him dive to the rim a lot, which he's done an okay job at. He's just, she, what she is emphasizing a lot of is he's good at, you know, when he pops and he has space, right? He can fake and drive or he can nail the three. It's like, why aren't they doing that more instead of having him be this diver to the rim or, you know, the post up to start every game, stuff like that. That being said, I think he's done okay on the dives and slipping screens every so often, getting into space, right? I think with, with Warren at the four and then three guards, it's way more spaced out of a floor, right? You don't have Sabonis at the elbow or whatever, a guy laying off Sabonis to clog up the paint at all. So he's done well to operate in way more space. He's gotten better at moving through space away from the ball all season because he's been playing the four. Now he is doing that with all guards and a forward. So I think he's done a pretty good job on offense. On defense, a few lapses of a guy who hasn't played basketball in four months. But again, he's one of the best recovery defender in space kind of guys in the league. Still struggles with centers. But I thought he looked fine you know he, I think he looks better as a lone center than he does as a four so overall I would say I, w- I was I was happy with how he played yeah I fully agree I think I I, I couldn't agree more I, I just I feel the exact same as you every time I talk to Caitlin I learn a ton but also feel like I have to go back and watch the game six times to understand what really Dude, I'll, I'll walk away from a game and be like oh they played great and then I yeah. read her t- 10 tweets about things that I missed that are like oh yeah they probably need to figure that out or it's yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and so when looking at miles I uh it's it's funny because I, I kind of got the uh I kind of got posting him up early I was fine with that because I don't know if you remember but I mean the 04 Pistons used to do that or the well not even 04 but just 04 through that entire time uh, they would post up Ben Wallace, you know, the first and second possession just to get him engaged and feeling like he's part of the offense. So I get doing that with Miles. Um, but, I mean, I think the the first game he was in, he posted up four or five straight possessions, um, which I think for a team trying to go small and a team Bad. that's – Yeah, it's, he's not <laughs> a – he's a good post player, but he's not a good enough post player where you're going to be able to to run 15 post possessions through a game and still be a, a – you know, a a winning offense. Um, So I think, especially talking about him popping, that was kind of disheartening to me, Um, especially because he started popping at 18 feet again. He did it a couple times. Um, It was going off dives and and he would stop just before the free throw line. And it it worked. It was going in. But at the same time, he only took two threes in two games. I know it's small sample size, just scrimmages. So of course I'm blown out of proportion, but uh, I am a little bit, I don't want to say worried, but um I don't love that moving forward. I really hope that that is not going to be the norm because I think, especially if you're running a three-guard lineup, him popping to five and being a legit floor stretcher, especially if you play like if you play Philadelphia and you can force them beat out a little bit because um, they run a drop scheme. If you can force them beat out, you can force Horford out when he's on the bench. That's huge for opening up driving lanes for, for the guards. Definitely. I, I think with some of his dives, that the ones I like and I'm happy about or roles or whatever, various things he does. And the one you're talking about is 18 feet. I hate them when it's not designed for the guard to get him the ball, right? Then it's mm-hmm. a terrible shot. He's in no man's land, whatever. But I like that, they, that you could tell they didn't have this in the Portland game is like the pocket pass was never there, right? Jakar is not great at, at getting to that spot. TJ Leaf is not good at much spacing wise on offense, right? Miles is pretty good at being available for the pocket pass. I think those are the dives and pops that I did like, but I totally agree with you that one, yes, you have to get behind the line. You can't go to 18 feet to nowhere. If no one can get you the ball, that's just useless. Especially, you know, they have guys like Aaron who are looking to shoot every time, right? You have to just clear out in that case because you know he's going to shoot. But yeah, two three-point attempts is so disappointing. They finally did a good job this year of getting him 
close to five, which is close to a sweet spot number, maybe even a little higher. They really need to get that number up now. He played a little bit less minutes per game than he will when things get going. But yeah, only one per game is, is ridiculous. And he can make those shots. We know he can. So they, they really need to hunt the more of those. And I think some of that is, I just talked about Aaron, is having him not shoot whatever 13, 14 times in a game because, I mean, he does not like to pass at all in these games. So yeah, I think Miles, for all the good stuff that we saw process-wise, there was some you know tweaks and finishes to the end of possessions and stuff like that that you'd like to see. Hey, get him the ball here or here. That would be better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so obviously you mentioned uh, Aaron, I want to talk about the bench guys a little bit and including Aaron. So I mean, he's, okay. he's not, not technically a bench guy right now, but he, you know, he wasn't the entire year uh, for the most part. So I really, I think that there were some good parts in Aaron's game. I liked his driving. I think he was seeking contact a little bit more than he usually does because normally he tries to pull up for a floater or uh, from, for like just kind of a short mid range shot. And he's not very good at those. Uh, so him seeking contact a little bit, he didn't finish well in the second and third game, but in the first game, he was like three or three, I think, which again, small sample size, but um, I, I thought that was promising him taking 13 shots yesterday was uh, not as promising this for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this is a huge, huge chance for him to really try and expand into his role, especially with Jeremy probably out for the year uh, next year, or at least most of the year, uh, given his injury. I think he's got a real chance to kind of prove to this, this this front office and coaching staff that he can be the sixth man and kind of create some instant offense moving forward off the bench. Yeah, I like, I like Aaron still. I was totally wrong about him as a prospect. But I think if he's going to be the fifth starter, fifth option, he cannot be hunting that many shots. Mm-hmm. And it's so obvious. Like, he's the only guy, I think, who's who's been a good player, at least, in the, for the Pacers in a while, that I can tell the second he starts driving if he's going to pass or shoot. Like, he gets such bad tunnel vision off of shot fakes that you just know he's not going to pass, and he takes a lot of really heavily contested shots in the paint and stuff. But that said, you're right, one. Yes, he was hunting for contacts instead of taking the patented Aaron Holiday 10-foot <laughs> running floater, oh, which is great. Uh, that's a step up for him. His finishing hasn't been something that's huge for him in his career. But, yeah, if he could just gets the passing, he'll fit in perfectly with that group. You know, his defense is fine. He can still move well. I'm, I mean, even – I forget how poorly he shot from three. It wasn't good. But, you know, I'm confident in his three-point shot. It's been good for two straight years, including off the dribble shots. That all will mm-hmm. be fine. It's just he's got he's to gotta be able to move the ball within the offense because that's where he's lacking within the starting five right now. Now, I do think, though, he fits – because he can shoot, he fits in fine with that group. And – that's why he fit in with the second unit as well. He could play on and off ball. So he, he'll be fine. I think he's still the right choice as a starter going forward, but he just has to pass the ball. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does moving forward. And I, I like that you, you point out his defense as well. I think obviously he's a smaller guy, but he, he's pretty strong for his size, has a decent wingspan, and I, I like his defense for the most part, especially at the point of attack. The thing with um, his defense for me is like you, Kyle Lowry – and Chris Paul, that's your six foot and under like good defenders in the NBA right now. That's it. That's the whole mm-hmm. list, right? It's, at his size, it's just so hard. So if he's just like trying hard and is capable, great. That's fine. That's a win for a guy of his size. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's the same thing. Like you look at TJ McConnell, um, right? If he was six foot four, he'd be a great defender. But it's yeah, just very great, too small. Like, um, I mean, I think there was it was great yesterday because you see uh, he recovered and had a perfect closeout on Rudy Gay, but. Rudy Gay is six foot eight, six foot nine. So he had no hand in his face. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's just what happens when you're too small. Or I can't say too small. I mean, TJ's still good, but you, you know what I mean. Um, but then actually, it's kind of funny because looking at Aaron 
you, you converse that a little bit with Edmund Sumner and how he played. And I think, again, Edmund Sumner is kind of in the same, same role. I, I think there's probably a little bit less stock in him from the front office. There's more speculation than knowing. But, I mean, Aaron was a first-round pick. Edmund was not. Um, so, I think he played – a, a lot better in the third game. Uh, the first two games, he just looked like he was going a little too fast and um, had some transition turnovers and was just – he seemed like he was going like 5% too quick. Uh, but, I mean, him opening up, he took five threes yesterday and looked okay from there, played some good defense, was just big out there, which we need. Um, I thought he looked really good, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about his chance moving forward as well. I've always loved Ed. He's my man. I want him to play 30 minutes. Not quite 30 minutes, but you know what I mean. He's really mm-hmm. good. I like that they went to 10 to get him out there too. 10 guys in the rotation. Like that's super unnate like to do that. Yeah, yeah. I was happy with that. I know I was talking to Dave Dufour last week, and he's a, he's a big fan of the Edmund Sumner stock as well. We're both on Edmund Sumner Island, and I would like to see more minutes because he, uh, he was running some sets yesterday too. Like he was uh, – yeah. he didn't really do a ton of that this year. So to see him kind of get a little bit of that opportunity was nice as well. Yeah, well, I just like with Ed in general. I think you're right that he does go too fast sometimes because his whole life, his thing's been he's the most athletic, speedy guy ever. So he'll just mm-hmm. coast past whoever, even at Xavier, even in the G League, right? So it's hard for him in the NBA to realize, oh, these guys are as fast as me, even though they're not. Like the first game, he had that crazy dunk where he split between two defenders because he's yeah. just the fastest guy. It's just what he does. But he, yeah, if he could harness that speed perfectly, he'd be so good. And he's an he's shot okay, like thirty something percent in the G League. If he can get that to translate, he's automatically a good fit in the rotation. I think this that them going ten is good for him. He can show that he fits with the second unit. I've, I mean, I'm just such a big fan of his game between his athleticism and defense. All he's got to do is be able to shoot even slightly below average efficiency. It makes him a positive player. So really, seeing him thrive, thrive is extreme. But play well in the in these scrimmage games with the, an entire second unit, right? The unit that he would end up ultimately being with was really encouraging for me. I wrote down the 10-man rotation as one of my takeaways. I asked Nate about it. He has not committed to that for the regular season, although mm. I would be pretty surprised if the the last scrimmage, the one where he had the starters in the fourth quarter and stuff, isn't his regular season rotation because why would you iron out not your regular season rotation? But you know, I, I think that's really big for him to be able to expand that far and have those guys. I, I actually like the 10-man for the bubble. It decreases the chance of injury. So I'm all about it. And Ed being the 10th guy is perfect. Yeah, I was a big fan of it. I really, really liked it. And we didn't see any Jim Boylan uh, platoon swaps, so that was cool too. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, so it's interesting looking at moving forward. I think that, you know, those are the two guys off the bench who I'm really excited about. The kind of young guys. I mean, Jakar has a real chance as well. Um, I think obviously he's not quite in terms of, you know, potential the same level as Aaron and, and Ed, and he's a little bit older as well. But, I mean, I think he's looked nice. I would like to see them try and run less DHOs with him in the second unit. Um, that did not work at all yesterday. That was uh, They that had was him tough. run a DHO with Alizé in the first game. That was the funniest thing. Ever. Oh, yeah. It did not go well for those. Yeah, uh, they, there were, I think maybe it'll come <laughs> with timing, uh, you know, just more time on the court together. But at the same time, I mean, he's just not the same ball handler is Sabonis, same passer. So I don't know. I think that the – I'm a little – I don't want to say – again, I don't want to say worry. I always go to that. Um, I do wonder how the second unit starts to iron out um, some more actions that, that can get them better looks. Because I think they were starting to work with some stuff, uh, work on that hammer action. Uh, Loved and it. God, yes, that was, that so was nice. nice. I really liked that. that but I so think there, there's got to be like another – 
thing that they can go to because the DHO is not there at all. Nope. On the bench. And that's they had that. So they had the, they always had the McDermott Sabonis two man mm-hmm. game, right? We could fall back on this guaranteed decent look every possession. And they did get a lot of just McConnell run fast into the paint corner three possessions, which was nice. Yeah. They had a lot of stuff. And with, like you said, the Jacquard DHO, he, he doesn't have that read quite yet. He's not, he doesn't read fast enough to the second he gives up the ball, be ready for the next thing yet. He still has to turn and figure it out. And that's why a lot of them end with him just drifting to available space and taking a mid-ranger, which he does in the pick and pop too. And look, Jakar is a great dunker, but he should not be shooting outside of 10 feet, just given what his skills are. If he hits 45% of those in the restart, great. He can do it all the time, and the second unit will be fine, but I don't think he can. He has basically no track record of doing so outside of three games with the Bulls, which is why he's still in the NBA. Mm-hmm. but you know his defense is good and he does other good things he deserves to be out there but I agree with you 100% that they need that group more than anything right we talked about the starters how they just since they're playing so fast and have guys driving they they just create open looks for each other by moving the second unit doesn't have that luxury as much I mean they have good off-ball movers but yeah they require a little bit more intricacy with screens and sets to get get stuff going and they've shown that they can get McDermott going on the move right they really hunted for him in the second half of that Spurs game Maybe do a little bit more of that. It didn't work great, but they got a bunch of good looks out of that. I think they have to kind of go a little more set heavy unless they're relying on McConnell way too much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, McConnell had a great game yesterday, in all fairness, 14 and 11, but I I totally agree. I think if you try and rely on him too much and just generating driving kick actions, a team's going to hone in on that and they'll stay home on on their man. And, you know, it's a a lot easier to – to focus in on that and especially in a series as well. I think for individual games, I'm not at all worried about that, but in terms of actually, you know, making a playoff series, that's uh, definitely something we'll be looking at. Um, so, you know, kind of moving forward, I guess, uh, like we have to talk about Sabonis and Vic now. Um, I was trying to save it for the end. We do. We yeah. have to, I mean, we don't have to, if you don't want no, to. No, we I, do. We do. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, I, I cannot wait for Vic to make his decision. So I never have to talk about the thought process until the off season. I'm just, it's like, it's like annoying. You know, it's, it's not his fault. It's not anyone who's talked to me about it's fault. Like it's the story. I get it. I'll talk about it. But like, man, it's just, it's just annoying. <laughs> There's games I going agree. on now and I'm so psyched. It's just, it, I, I, know. I thought today I, would be the day we found out about Vic too. So exactly. I, uh, I was thinking so too, but I'm guessing it's going to be tomorrow. Um, I agree. I, I hope you're right. I just I totally agree because all the media calls I've been on with you with Nate, uh, I think we've steadily seen him go from the beginning. Um, he was like, you know, yeah, it is. You know, it is what it is. You'll you'll hear from Vic himself, and now he's just you know he's over it. I think he's very tired of being asked about it. Yep. Um, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I remember the Vic national, will tell me when he tells me. Yeah, the national media call I was on. I think he got asked the same question seven times in a row before somebody asked him a different question. So I, uh, I respect the, uh, the nonchalance and not really wanting to, to hear the same question. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I am, I think that's a bonus. I, I mean, do you think that he's going to play? Like I the bonus or don't, Vic? sorry, uh, Sabonis first. Cause I think, um, I think Sabonis, whether or not he plays would probably factor into Vic's decision. I agree. Um, but at the same time, uh, I am a little bit wary of the idea of Sabonis coming in and playing. Uh, I don't know, you know, everything about plantar fasciitis, but um, it's extremely painful, not fun. My dad had it. I remember he was on the couch for uh, in and out for weeks and just would flare up. And especially for somebody where, you know, footwork is so important, 
uh, it's not great. And you kind of just want him to be able to take time off and get, get used to, to, I mean, get recovered fully. If Sabonis plays, I bet it would be only playoffs. And at that point, I kind of like, I get that he was an all-star and is really good, but like, why? I guess yeah. like you're, he himself, I talked, it's so like one of the pieces I wrote this, like since the restart started was I asked basically every player, the Pacers made available, like, what do you think the challenges of the bubble are going to be? And Sabonis was like injuries, dude. I think people are going to get hurt and have these soft tissue stuff. Sure enough with him, it happens. And I think that's ironic, first of all. But also, you know, with him, like, if he really has this sore foot and he can barely put weight on it and he hasn't practiced since – he was in Indy, right? Not even in the bubble has he had yep. a, a practice. How is he supposed to, to fly out, get treatment, come back, quarantine, and then get into shape, get into game shape in whatever, two and a half weeks before the playoffs start? Like, that seems impossible unless the treatment works immediately. So he's probably – like Nate said, they'll evaluate it in one to two weeks. Maybe if in one week he feels great and he tests negative every day and he comes back and he can play the last three regular season games, we'll see him again this year. But I just – because it's all so fast, right? Like their whole season could be over by August 30th. Like there's – it just seems like there's no way. But it's possible if it heals really fast. It just seems extremely unlikely to me that we'll see Sabonis. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I just err more towards uh, it's better for him to – stay you know do whatever he can to get healthy if he's able to come back that's great I don't think it will happen um, but the idea of him just potentially injuring it even more and developing a worse injury off of it or just having uh, a recurrence of it by coming back and playing early and uh, I mean even if he did come back he's probably not even remotely close to 100% I mean I'm sure he's doing everything he can yeah. to stay in shape but just given the circumstances and scenario and I mean it's the craziest year of, of basketball for you know pretty much ever so um like yeah I just I think it'd be a lot to ask him to come do that and I think it would not I don't want to say hurt the team but it would be uh I mean frankly it could hurt the team because if he's not I was gonna say I think hurts fine in this instance yeah but I don't I just mean like it's not his fault but right right um, yeah so I I, and then going into Vic I think uh I don't want to say it makes his decision but I mean you look at this team I think I've seen some people say that they think this team can uh, I, I won't say who. I mean, it's people on Twitter, so that's not exactly <laughs> not exactly gauging the um, the crowd of of NBA experts or anything. But um, I, I think there are people who think that this team can make a deep playoff run. And I I think just in terms of being worried about health and rebounding and um, how the defense is going to hold up going small the, for an entire series, um, I guess partially it depends on who you draw in the first round. Uh, but at the same time, I I do think this kind of – I don't want to say it makes Vic's decision, but uh, I don't think – I if I'm leaning somewhere, I think I lean that Vic probably doesn't end up playing. See, if, if I have two – I'll comment on the Sabonis thing too. I think it's – I have two things that I think would swing the fulcrum to me thinking he is playing. One is if Sabonis was playing, like you just said. If Sabonis was playing, I think Vic would for sure play because – I agree they'd have a shot to fully gel and win a series. My second one is if he had, you know, that third scrimmage game, if he had played well, he would have played okay against the Blazers, really well against the Mavs, and then well or really well against the Spurs. And he could have said, okay, teams are going to see what my value is here. Even if, even if he does or does not want to stay irrelevant for him, he can say, I am increasing my value as a player. And that would be great. In the third scrimmage, he was bad. All his shots were short. He noticeably reacted to one of his short misses, right? Quinn Buckner mm-hmm. comments on it mid-game. You know, he's just frustrated. They're all, 
he finally got some groove in the fourth, but it took him a while. I think if he had played well that game, I would be leaning towards he plays, but he didn't. And now at best, I'm 50. I, I think I've said on Twitter, I'm 50, 50 on it. It's pretty close. Like I see why he would, I think it would look weird for him if he did the scrimmages and then didn't. And I think he'd have to answer some questions about that. And you know, like, let's be real. It's been now, it'll be 19 months since the injury. Like, if, if there's a chance of soft tissue injury 19 months later, like that looks bad for you too. So I get that there is for everybody, but he's talked about it with his unique injury that he had in, in January of 2019, right? If it still isn't healed all the way or still has chance of re-injury, that looks bad for him. So I think there's a lot of push from both sides. But yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of reasons for him to sit out. I think he knows the team probably doesn't have a good shot of winning a series, even if he is playing pretty well. So it's, it's going to be hard for him to decide. And I, I think I'm with you that it's pro- I, I'll probably say 49% he plays because I want to say it's more likely that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's closer for me than it is for some other people, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think um, I definitely just want to point out as well, I, I don't have, hold anything against him. I think, you know, it's his oh, me health neither. is his Absolutely health. Because um, there are some people who do, and it drives me up a wall, man. Um, but, yeah, I think especially well, looking I, at the I, – Sorry, I want to comment. Oh, no, what I've never actually said this. If 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 a fan of the team wants to hold it against him that he that he isn't playing with the team, I totally get that. You're a fan. You're allowed to be mad that the team's potentially best player isn't playing. Like I'm okay with that. I just think that his reasoning makes all the sense. Like you can't. You're allowed to be mad that the Pacers will be worse, and I guess you can be mad at Vic for being the reason that is happening. But I think being mad at him, the person or the or the process here, is is misguided. I think. That's yeah, what I totally want agree. To say. That's it's hard where to I'm, phrase that well. Like I get yeah, it. No, you're I, allowed I to be mad saying. at your at the player, but it's it's kind of yeah. Don't hate the player, hate the game, right? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 so I totally feel that. And especially looking at you, like you mentioned with the third game, um, it, it's interesting to look at because I, it, it's tough because it, I feel like some people are going to look at it. Maybe they didn't see the game and they'll say, "Oh, well, you know, Vic, he played all three games and um, he just didn't get it together in the third, and that's going to be his reason for sitting out." I mean, if you watch it, just watch him in the third game, he was not there physically. You could tell. I, I said it to Tom yesterday. I mean, he looked like, just going back to my boxing days, he looked like a, a guy whose legs were out from under him in the 10th round. Like, uh, he was just gassed. You could tell on defense he was not fully there physically. Uh, he didn't have the same lift on his shot that he had against the Mavericks. Um, his, I mean, he had a couple times where he blew by somebody, which was phenomenal, but he just didn't have the lift or the burst to get up there and get that, get, get an actual layup in. Um, so I think that was noticeable. And I, you know, you just wonder, uh, obviously it's not even a ton of, I mean, it's a decent amount of games in a couple days. I think it was three games in what, five days. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if you're looking at playoff series, you can't expect them to play, uh, all those seeding games in a playoff series. If you can't get through three scrimmages, uh, without going through that that kind of his body kind of uh, reacting negatively to it. It's, it's hard to look at and say, okay, I, I, I don't understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think that there were no back-to-backs either, right? So mm-hmm. if this is a conditioning thing that's causing it, I think if he knows that, he'll sit out. If it wasn't and it was just an off night, you know, he's a pro, he knows. Or yeah, maybe, I don't even, sorry to cut you off. I don't even mean conditioning. I just mean like, it, I don't want to say his knee flared up, but I feel like that's part of the reason why his, his shot was – struggling yesterday you know I, I can get yeah I can agree with that yeah yeah it's hard to, it's, it's like hard to say from an external perspective exactly like it, guys have off nights too but mm-hmm. like he hasn't you know he played 13 games at not 100 percent. like who knows where he's at with that but yeah it's, it's it's gonna be tough 
for I think it's tough for him either way. If he decides to play, there's a lot of risks. And if he does play bad, that really could hurt his value, right? I mean, that means since be, being an All-NBA player, he's played 51 – no, sorry, at an eight, 59 mediocre to bad basketball games. And that is not good for your free agent uh, outlook. So I totally Definitely understand not. both sides of the coin for him. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, well, you know, obviously we want to go out on a positive note. <laughs> you don't just want to leave <laughs> off on that. Uh, what's one thing that you're really looking forward to for this team heading into the seeding games? Ooh, more Edmund Sumner. That's not my actual answer. I would um, agree with that, though. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like – they have – last year in the playoffs, they had no self-creators, like, at all. Like, Boyan was their best self-creator, and I loved Boyan, but – he is not the self-creator level that even McConnell this year is or Aaron Holiday this year is or TJ Warren or Brogdon's probably about his level at it. And they, they just have a better skill set for slowed down games. And even though I don't think they're going to win a playoff round, I think even if they don't have their stars or, or they have some substandard version of their stars, they're just going to be a tougher out because they have guys better suited to play in the playoffs. And I think I'm excited to watch that. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I agree. I think my thing that I'm really excited about – uh, is TJ. I'm really excited to see TJ yep. Warren get his first playoff under his belt. And uh, I mean, just to continue in the seeding games, I mean, he was great in the first two games. I think the entire starting unit yesterday was just uh, Someone's off. not there. Yeah, yeah. The intensity wasn't there. Nate talked about a post game um, just wasn't there, but I'm, I'm really excited to see TJ. I'm excited. You know, the two of the last three seeding games, we get to see him go up against Jimmy Butler again. I'm excited about that. Um, I think, I, I don't know where you're at on him. I think that there's – I mean, he turns 27 next year, I believe. I think there's still a little bit of room for him to grow as a, as a primary option. Um, and I think that he could take another step in, in towards his, uh, his creation ability. Because I think there's kind of an idea that he's this uh, – like an a isolation killer or whatever. He really doesn't ISO that often. You know, nope. he's really a lot more of a play finisher than a play starter. Um, so I think there's some room for him to grow on ball. And I'm excited for him at the four – uh, to maybe get some more on-ball opportunities against slower-footed guys and take them off the dribble. So I'm really excited for TJ. Yeah, he could have, he could have a great last couple of games. He could he could make himself into uh, an extension candidate possibly if he plays well too in the playoffs. So yeah, I'm looking forward to watching him also. I totally agree, man. Uh, what are you working on heading into the weekend? Yeah, yeah, gotta take again takeaways from the scrimmage like I brought up earlier, and then. Uh, cause there's eight seating games. We're going to do an eight things to watch. Uh, oh, okay. I like, uh, numbers like that. And after that, we'll see it probably, probably time for some features of guys in the bubble after uh, the game gets started. Cool. That would be awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it to, uh, everyone listening at home. Thank you for tuning in. This was, uh, the end your cornrows podcast. If you've not already, please go rate and review on Apple podcasts, check us out on Spotify and read our articles over at indycornrows.com. Uh, check out Tony's stuff over at Forbes Sports uh, on the West Indianapolis Community News, the Fieldhouse, and Locked on Pacers. Tony, thanks for coming on, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Mark.